You are listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corinne Pierce. Sinwama, welcome. Pikabitam de Ana. I am your host, Keishi Corinne Pierce. I'm a local basket weaver, traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. Yawi, thank you for joining me today to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino, Lake, Sonoma counties unique. Um, I'm excited because my guest um, isn't from one of those counties, but she is definitely a good ancestor and local treasure. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes and friends who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our in our local community and beyond. The song that you just heard was a two-step song sung, sung by Thomas Brown, from, who's a, in Lampomo. Um, he recently passed away a few months ago, but I still use that song because um, I think about him a lot. And so I like to make sure that everybody hears that song. Today we have a wonderful guest and I'm so excited, um, but before I get to her, I want to talk about something that I was able to help with uh, on Friday in our community and I want everybody to go and check it out. So uh, for the last couple of years, I have been working with the South Valley High students in Ukiah and we've been doing a lot of stuff. We've been doing cultural education. We've been doing hands-on uh, herbal medicine making. We installed a native plant garden. Uh, so we've been doing a lot. And um, I'm not supposed to have favorites. I have several favorites. And uh, one of them said that they wanted to make an art exhibit. They've come to the few art openings that I've done over the couple of years over in Middletown and in Ukiah. And I said, okay, we will do that. So I was able to um, guide them. They really did it on their own. Um, they did all the labels. They, they curated the art. And it is in the um, public room. It's a pop-up exhibit at the Grace Hudson Museum. And it's going to be there until the 11th. And I'm really, really excited. It's really beautiful. It was a young Native woman that... Um, her name is Anastasia, and she really got it all together, and she's very shy, but 
she was delegating. They were doing a ton of math. <laughs> um, the art is very, very impressive. I think that they sold most of the pieces in their first night. So um, go check that out if you get a chance. There's also a really great exhibit going on at the Art Center Ukiah um, that is, I think it's called High Off the Land. I can't believe I forgot what it's called, but it's it's a really great art show. So go check all those out. And um, there's something happening here is happening at the Grace Hudson Museum, which was very, very cool. Uh, I got to um, see that and, and really celebrate that. So that was really great. So I have a special song for our guest, um, but I'm going to play it. I think I'm going to play it after I introduce her. So... Um, we will start right here. So my next guest, who I'm excited about, um, is an inspiration to me and to so many people over the world at this point. I think she's been an inspiration uh, for a long, long time. Uh, I met her, gosh, probably over a decade ago now. It seems like... I don't know, COVID really messed with my brain. I keep thinking, you know, a few years back, but in reality, it was over a decade ago. Um, it's such an honor for me to welcome Wonia Don Thimble. She's an amazing woman, and I'm so excited and grateful to have her here. Not only is Wonia an amazing ancestral skill artist, uh, her reputation around a buckskin hide is legendary. And that's actually how I heard of her the first time. It's like, have you met Wonia? She can make oh, the most beautiful buckskin clothing. And she really, really does. Um, she was a contestant on season six alone, which is a show on the History Channel, but it's also streaming now, where she lasted an impressive 73 days. She's also the winner of Alone Frozen, which she lasted another 50 days, making her not only the first and only woman to win the show, but also the contestant with the highest number of days on Alone, which was 123. I think that that is crazy that is so many days but i um i'm really excited so i want you guys to hear from her um let me turn you on wonia welcome sintamana how are you i'm wonderful thanks so much green i'm really excited to be here and it's a it's an amazing day for it because we have this incredible cloudy sky with little sunbeams shining through right now and it just feels like the ancestors are present <laughs> I love it. I I always think the ancestors are present and I'm I'm so excited to talk to you about there's so many things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about um your first stay during season 6. I want to talk to you about um when you were on Alone Frozen. I want to talk about your book that's coming out that I read from cover to cover and absolutely love. You have you have no idea how much I was crying. Like it really touched me and it really spoke to me in, in so many, many ways. But before we do that, um, introduce yourself. Let everybody know who you are. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Wonia Tebow and I grew up in Northern California in Nevada County, uh, South, South County, Grass Valley area. And I actually worked for one summer. One of my first jobs out of college was in Willits. So I spent uh, very form, form, what's the word? Um, 
Um, I spent a very important summer and fall working at a little outdoor education center, Emmendale, uh, in Willits, right on the Eel River there. So Mendocino County and that area is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I grew up spending a lot of time outdoors and really longing for a different time and a different way of life than I had available to me in the small area that I grew up. And it was an amazing pleasure and so fortunate for me as a young woman to find my way to some mentors who were able to share with me some of the skills for living a little closer to the land. I already had the inspiration and I was already trying to do it on my own, but uh, really having some people take me under their wing was a huge turning point in my life and led to so many of the journeys that we're going to be talking about today. Awesome. Um, I know you go to a lot of skill camps, ancestral skill camps. Um, where did you find your mentor? And if you want to mention them by name, that would be totally great. I know that they also make our community really rich. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, uh, well, so I started out on this path through doing a lot of backpacking and spending a lot of time outdoors, both in the Sierra Nevadas and the Rocky Mountains. And it was through a course that I did with two instructors who were doing a course for college credit through backpacking through the Idaho wilds. And they told me about an ancestral skills gathering in Idaho that I went to when I was 19. And there I met two, well, actually three, three women who would go on to be really important influences in my life. Tamara Wilder, who's there in Mendocino County, Margaret Mathewson, who teaches basketry in, uh, Oregon, and Alice Tulloch, who actually lives close to where I live right now, all of whom, uh, I think there was something really special about learning from these really amazing, incredibly intelligent and talented women. And uh, the fact that I was a young woman just kind of finding my way to myself meant, meant that they were um, really inclined to take me under their wing. And so all of them, I would consider really important early mentors in my journey. Very cool. So, um, like I said, you're very, you're really well known for the work that you do sewing buckskin. You're like, <laughs> really, that's what I knew you as first. So do you have a favorite ancestral skill craft that you make? What is your favorite? Like if you had if you were had everything available to you, what would you choose to do? That's a great question and a really, really hard question <laughs> because I absolutely have favorites, but I also have been doing this stuff for almost three decades now. So there's been, you know, a long arc with a lot of shifting in there. And I would say that from the moment I saw it, I was really drawn to home tanned leather, buckskin smoke tanned leather. And so that's, as you say, been a huge part of, of my career and what I've thrown myself into. And what I love about buckskin is the fact that every human on the planet can trace their ancestry back to smoke tanned leather. It was done on every continent where we found people from time immemorial. And I think that there's something about it that is within our dna the smell it's it smells really strong it's really beautiful has an incredible texture so it hits so many of our senses and i think that it reminds us who we are and where we come from and so from from the 
you know, the more energetic level and that emotional spiritual level, that's part of why I am so drawn to buckskin. And I think that it kind of anchors that wildness and that connection to the land around us in a physical way in our lives. So that's a huge one for me and why I've devoted so much of my life to it and why my business is Buckskin Revolution. That said, I also really love the skills that allow us to be in the wild long-term and feeling like an important and valued part of it. I think in our culture, we have this idea that nature is out there and all of the other animals are out there and we are humans and we're different and we're separate. And the only way that we can interact with the natural world is by damaging it. And I think that that is so, so harmful to both the natural world and humans. Because as soon as we put ourselves as other, then we can destroy it without caring. And then we see ourselves in this terrible light. So in that way, things like wild food, foods and shelter and, you know, basketry and fiber arts and making the tangible things in our life from things in the natural world in a way that actually tends and gives back to those spaces. These days, that's a bit more of a focus and a passion for me, just because I think it has the ability to transform one of the most damaging myths in our culture that we don't belong there. Absolutely. I always like to remind people that um, most indigenous uh, language doesn't have a word for nature outside of yourself because you are a part of the the world. And uh, one thing I, I'm sharing this because I think it's really cool. Um, we're revitalizing the Pomo language and uh, the word together mean it's it translates into one earth. Um, so we're all in it together in one earth. And this actually brings me to a question that my, uh, friend Kumar has for you. <laughs> He's so excited. Um, I, so, um, my friend Kumar came with me to Buckeye and he was fangirling all over you, which is funny to me. And, but I mean, you've had a big impact. Um, we let his kids watch that show and they're making debris shelters, minute fairy debris shelters outside. But his question was, um, I talk a lot about, um, stop calling it resources, start calling it relations, start calling it relatives. And I know one of the reasons that I, I love you and I feel like you're such a good ancestor is because you feel that same way. What advice can you give to people who, because I know you had to come to that. You, you had to come to that understanding that these things are our relatives. Uh, what advice can you give to people to, to bridge that so that they can feel that? Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful question. And that's very much a thrust of my work and trying to get that idea to modern people who are used to going and getting whatever they need from the grocery store or ordering it online right to their doorstep. You know, that's, that's the real trick, right? Um, so one of the things that I really talk about, and I know you talk about this too, is going out into a wild place or even not a wild place. I mean, I, I harvest and roadsides a lot or really heavily used areas all the time. Um, so going into a place with the intention to meet a new friend rather than an intention to just get something that you need. And I think that part of what that looks like is getting to know those plants through all of the seasons, not just the season where they're most useful to you. Like, can you understand 
the growth habit of willow by seeing what happens if it goes untended, by seeing what it looks like when it's first emerging from the ground in spring versus when it's dormant in the winter, which would be the time that we would generally be harvesting for a lot of projects. And taking a moment to introduce yourself and asking permission, I think, is one of the hugest, most important things. And I think that confuses people because, of course, plants don't speak in <laughs> in human language. But there's something about getting yourself in that more grounded, centered place of deep listening, where you can hear a message, even though it's not in English, that's not just beneficial for your relationship with that plant, but it, it does something to us inside, right? It's, it's literally dropping to a different brain state. It's engaging those senses that we tend to shove down as modern humans. So learning to, to ask and receive answers from from the plants, animals, and places, you know, the, the idea that it's not just the things we recognize as living beings, but it's it's everything out there in the world that has the capacity to let us know what it needs, what it's feeling, and if it's all right with our presence and generous enough to feel okay with us gathering. Awesome. Um, that's great advice. I always I always tell people to get quiet. <laughs> go someplace and just get quiet and and speak and i always talk about poison oak guardian oak um southern southern fire doctor like if you really need some answers real quick go talk to poison oak because she will give you those answers really quickly um so i read your whole book i have so many favorite parts of your book um but when i messaged you last night you said that part four and part five always make you cry. Why do those, why do those parts make you cry? Great question. I think that parts four and five really, really get to me because they are, they're the time of my journey out there where everything was stripped away. I was so raw. I was so vulnerable. I was so open and you know, for those those who haven't witnessed my journey or read the book yet or, or know um, kind of the, the heart of my journey, part of it is that I was out in this incredibly wild, rugged, remote place where so few humans have stepped foot for a long time in really low condition, really low temperatures with very little food. So it was really like a very long term fast, a long term vision quest, rite of passage of sorts. And there's something about those experiences. There's a reason why most most world religions, most practices of people who live close to the earth do things like that, because there's something about going without the things you really need that kind of removes all of the veils and gets you down to your core. And so part four of my book is the last chunk of my time out there where I was truly brushing the edge of death. I mean, I had truly been slowly starving to death for months at that point. And there was something about it that just made me so tapped in my, my intuition, my ability to hear, my ability to feel myself as part of that landscape was just so poignant during those times. So when I read it, I go right back to those places and those feelings and how powerful every Every message from the wild land, every animal that crossed my path, every animal that gave itself to me in my traps was truly the difference between life and death. And as we've talked about, I started to hear the ancestors talking to me 
like I've never experienced in my life, not just from this logical place, but like deep inside me with that voice coming from within as much as from without. And it was just the most powerful thing I've ever experienced. So I can't read about it without crying. And then I cry when I read part five, because part five is when I returned and was in my recovery. And because there was so much grief associated with that, I still feel the grief. I still feel the longing and what it was that I had to step away from and and didn't want to. I really didn't want to. So that that longing that you had for being that, is that part of why you went back and did um, Frozen alone? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, here I had the most amazing, transformative, challenging and magical experience in my whole life. And I never stopped missing it and longing for it when I left the Northwest Territories. And I always wondered whether or not I would have an opportunity to go back and have something similar. So when the invite came, I was I was shocked. I did not expect that. I I didn't know whether or not that opportunity would ever come. But if it did, I did not expect it that soon or where I was at that point in my life. I was not particularly ready for it. But I mean, there was no question that I was going to say no to it because it was so important to me. And I was also not expecting the second time to be infinitely harder <laughs> than my first time had been. Frankly, it wasn't it wasn't a repeat of the same magical experience. It was very, very different with all kinds of magic and wonder, too. But very, very distinctly different experiences. Yeah, so I I watched them all. And the funny thing is, I had never watched any of them until um, it was at Buckeye many years ago. And you were talking about the possibility of going on that show. And I was like, well, I, I should probably watch that show. And I was really shocked because the first season, it was just men. And yeah. I'm, I was so happy when they started including women. And I, I love how you talk about, um, who you are as a person. Because if you, if you don't want, know Wonia, she is, um, a small person. She's not very tall. I'm not very tall and she's shorter than me and such a, <laughs> such a gentle soul. And you, you talk often about how watching survival stuff, and I'm always, I'm always shocked by the military guys that are on there like, I'm going to go, I'm going to conquer this. And I'm like, that's not how nature usually works, but we'll see how it goes. But to see you, um, on there and, um, like being a part of the environment and just, it was such, an inspiration to me and it's an inspiration to every person of small stature who does this and every girl like every woman that I talk to um the and I know you went and talked to the girl scouts can you talk about uh, like I don't know if going out there and being a role model was part of your plan but it's definitely what is happening can you talk about about that what it's like yeah, absolutely. And you know, going out there and representing women was 100% part of my plan. It felt really, really important to me. And it was very intentional 
to the point where I tried to get them to let me take a dress rather than just, you know, tactical pants when I went out there. I didn't bring tactical pants. I brought wool and buckskin pants. But you know, you know what I'm saying? There's the military look, there's the like survival shtick and and outfit and dress. And I was very intentional about wanting to be a counter to that and represent something totally different. They wouldn't let me bring a dress, which I understand because it's a totally different garment with a lot more material, frankly, than like the t-shirt that I was hoping to replace it with. But I did take a wool buff for my neck. That was one of the items we were allowed. And I, well, I got really skinny out there, but I also made it big enough that I was hoping that I could wear it as a skirt. Um, and sure enough, I was able to wear that as a skirt. And even though it was really cold, it was kind of a hard climate for a skirt. I tried to wear it on camera as often as possible to show the world that I wasn't there in spite of being a woman, but because I was a woman, that being a woman is not a handicap. Whereas almost all of the, the imagery that we see in our culture is that it takes a big, buff, burly Rambo type in order to go out and like wrestle down the wilderness so that you can survive. And I'm like, oh my God, that is the furthest thing from the truth. And how do you think we got here? Are you kidding me? You know, like, had there been no women in wild places for the last several hundred thousand years, there would be no Rambos, right? Like, obviously, that isn't what it takes. And so it felt really important for me to show that to the world. And as you say, you know, I'm 5'4", I'm not that big a person in general. So wrestling down the wilderness wouldn't be an option for me. And frankly, I mean, come on, it's not an option for anyone. It's a ridiculous thing to believe that we have that kind of power. Um and also, you know, when I was a young woman and getting into this world, I felt like I had to really deny my femininity to be taken seriously. And that was so damaging to me. I mean, I was I was in my mid-30s when I started to really recognize that and start to heal those deep wounds that it had done to me and my self-worth. So it felt really important to me to be the role model for young women that I wish I had had. And if I could have avoided those decades of you know, beating myself up for being a woman and seeing my strengths as liabilities, it, it would have completely changed my life. So may may young women today never have to have that questioning whether they could do something because they're a small woman or a woman, period, regardless of their size and shape. Oh, I love that. Um, I do all my harvesting in dresses. Like I look like a hobo most of the time, but when I go out and I <laughs> harvest in nature, I wear like my best summer dresses. And I'm, I'm always trying to impress the willow. I'm always trying to impress the deer. But you know, people are one thing, but, but being out in nature, I always love that. And I really love, um, that you are able to be feminine because, um, even in ancestral skill, and it is changing. It's changed a lot in the last 15 years. Like normally it was still very uh, separated, you know, like these are the men things. And then here you go make baskets over there. Um, but, you know, it's it's good to see that it's changing. I'm really, really happy about that. Um, hold on one second. I want to do a station ID and then I want to play a song for you. So you're listening to KZYX. It's Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah at 91.5 FM and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You are listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. And we are talking with Wonia Thimbo today. And I have a special song for her. 
um, and I'm going to explain it really quick. So um, you were out on um, in Diné territory, correct? And you were there for a long time. And I know that those ancestors were taking care of you. And I found a song for you. And it's a woman's song from that area. And it is um, called Gentle Woman. And I mm. absolutely love it. And I'm going to play that for you right now. Um, and then we'll get back to talking with you. Oh, 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 oh,
song (laughs) and I was like oh I need to I need to play this for you so I'm glad that I was able to do that um Mm, thank you (laughs) that's amazing I'm actually returning to the Northwest Territories for the first time since I left after season six this summer for the summer solstice so I'll be up there for the longest day of the year having left there right before the winter solstice years ago shrunken and you know, very physically altered. So I'm super excited to have my journey be full circle and to be able to return there. I'm going to be doing a reading of my book and sharing um, at the Yellowknife Visitor Center and being able to be there and reconnect with that place and that people is just a dream come true. It's really thrilling. Yeah, that's that's so amazing. I, I'm glad... Um... I'm so glad that you gave me your book. I don't want to, I'm trying to not spoil it for everybody. There's so much stuff in there that you want to read. Um, but before we get too far, I'm wondering if you can explain to everybody what the premise of Alone is in case they have not watched it. I also have a clip that we can listen to um, that is a short video. It's a, a really short video about the 10 things that you took um, on your first trip. So if you can talk about what Alone is and how it works. Of course, yes. So Alone is essentially a survival challenge wherein they choose 10 people, usually 10, some seasons have been a little bit different, including the frozen season. And each of those people gets to select just 10 things from a list of different items, not not anything you want. An inflatable kayak is not an option. A rifle with ammunition is not an option. So things that would make survival potentially possible but extremely challenging so things like you can bring a bow and arrows you can bring a cook pot you can bring a sleeping bag so everything that you have with the exception of a tarp because you have to keep your camera equipment dry and a toothbrush for some reason (laughs) so you get those those things but the rest all count against your 10 items so you have to choose the 10 things that you think will serve you best an environment you've never been before at a difficult time of year and you get dropped in the wilderness by yourself. So each 10 people are set out, you know, miles apart, potentially far enough that there's no way that they're ever going to get anyone anywhere near one another. And also with enough camera equipment to film your entire time out yourself. So it's technically a competition. You survive out there with those things for as long as you can. Food is not part of it. You can choose up to two items of food, but each of those is only two pounds, which is not enough to see you through. So you are out there in a wild place doing the best you can to survive for as long as possible. And the premise of the show is the last one out there wins. A lot of people approach it as a competition, but frankly, I really didn't like 
seeing it as a competition. I was out there just to experience this place and to be there for as long as I possibly could. So it's, it's a survival journey. And one of the things that a lot of people question or don't really understand is the fact that Yes, you are indeed totally alone out there. There's no film crew that would completely change the experience. So while a lot of other survival type shows, there's someone behind the camera directing. So it's not authentic necessarily. They're leading you. They're making you do the same thing over and over so they can get the best camera angles and yada, yada. This one, it's really just you and your experience and all self-documented. So it's really an incredible opportunity to have a deeper immersion than would be easy to do on your own because you do have the capacity to call a team to come and get you should you get into a really hairy or dangerous situation. So in that way, it allows people to stay out longer and push themselves more than they might do if they didn't have that safety net. And that was definitely true for me. I've never had anywhere near as long and deep and frankly challenging uh, a, a wilderness experience as I was able to have out there. That's amazing. Um, so my friend sent me this quote, and it's from Aristotle. And it says, whoever is delighted in solitude is either a wild beast or God. And this same friend um, often jokes that um, all my friends are superheroes of some kind or another. And uh, it, it is true. I have exceptional friends. And I was looking at your Facebook and I saw that someone had edited an Avengers poster with the right. faces of everybody from alone on it. I was like, yes, see, this is exactly my superhero friend. So it was really, really awesome. Um, so I'm going to play that quick, um, video for folks so that they can hear what 10 items you took real quick and I think that's a really cool thing to hear because I didn't know about it until I read the book and then I looked for the video so I'm going to play that for everybody right now I've spent my life studying ancestral skills so you can actually eat stinging nettles raw and they're just amazing nutrition I already live a lifestyle of harvesting a lot of wild foods, and one of the things that I do in the world is tan deer hides and make clothing. Yeah. This is actually just the tail. I've never felt afraid of wild animals, so I don't go out there with a lot of fear. My only fear is failing myself in some way. Cannon some elk bone broth. This is a real lifestyle for me, not just a hobby. I'm doing my part because every calorie I put in right now gives me hopefully another day or two out there. The main reason I'm doing this is to inspire people. Also not to be like a big buff military person doing that, but a smallish woman coming at it from a place of relationship rather than a brute strength and dominance. We're coming here the hardest time of year to try to make a living and we're being dropped with just 10 items. So I wanna be able to get most of what I need from the local environment. And if I have a lot of tools, then I'm able to do more with what's around. I'm about to head into the Arctic wilderness to survive on my own with just 10 items. So this is a minus 40 degree down waterproof bag. This is gonna be super, super important Item number two for me is a cooking pot. This is really nice because it has a locking lid to store my food away from rodents and whatnot 
trying to take some of my precious calories away. I also wouldn't go anywhere in the wilderness without a knife. I went with just a good carbon steel blade, garish orange plastic because it's gonna make it really hard to lose. Ferro rod also was an easy choice. Knowing how to make fire and getting it quickly and with a minimum of energy is super, super important in this environment. This is a really fabulous saw. It's big enough to go through any of the trees around here. And these double cut teeth are gonna be more efficient than other saws. Everything I can do to conserve calories out here is gonna make a difference. I plan to be doing a lot of crafting. And so a multi-tool seemed like a really good choice. I've got scissors, knife, saw. I think this is gonna come in very handy on a daily basis. With the wind that we have out here, paracord is going to stay flexible. I can do trapping. I can secure my tarp even in heavy winds. So this seemed like a really important tool. I brought a variety of sizes of barbless fish hooks and a couple different weights of line, as well as some hard leader monofilament for standing up to those very, very sharp teeth of these big northern fish. This season, we're allowed to take a variety of different big games. So that made it an easy choice to bring my bow and I'm bringing nine arrows. I've got broadheads for big game, judo points for birds and small game, and then field points for rodents and other small game. So cross your fingers for me. I'm hoping to bring home the bacon. And then finally, I brought an emergency food ration. All right, here I go. Wish me luck. I'm not gonna die. <laughs> I love that you say, I'm not going to die. <laughs> that cracks me up every time. That, that doom and gloom, that I know. danger, danger, danger. It's dramatic. So it's so important we be a counterpoint to that. Like, don't worry, everybody. It's going to be okay. <laughs> well, it was very dramatic music. That's for sure. Um, so I want everybody to know how they can learn from you, how they can support you, where they can get your book, um, where they can. I know you have... Uh, Patreon. I know you do teaching videos. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, my, my whole purpose in the world is to not have myself be up on this pedestal like, oh, Wonia does these amazing things, but to be an example for what we can all do. So I don't want to just have this book where people read about this amazing experience. I want to have that book inspire them to go and learn some skills themselves. So I try to have many different ways so that that's available to all people. I have a YouTube channel where you can watch me doing different things for free. I have online courses so that people all over the world can engage deeply and learn these skills in a much deeper way than they can from, you know, a five minute video. And then I have online as well as in-person courses. So my in-person courses allow us to do everything, you know, in real time, face to face. So that's a great way. But then I also have something that's really near and dear to my heart, which is my Patreon membership, where I post about what I'm doing. I give the inside scoop. I gave them much more details about the basket class I did with you at Buckeye, for example, than I posted on my social media. And then we also have interactive calls. So we have built this really beautiful, like-minded, heart-centered skills and nature connection-based community through Patreon. And those are deep and lasting relationships. And I have some people across the world who I've never met. And then some people who, after years of knowing each other just online, we've actually gotten together in person at different events. So it's been a really huge part of my inspiration to keep going. So lots of different ways to plug in. And then, of course, there is my book, which is one of the, the tools I'm putting out in the world, hoping to really inspire people to get out there and live a little bit 
wilder, freer, more bountiful lives. And that you can find any on, on Amazon, on most online retailers, as well as in bookstores, if you go and ask them to order it. I actually have all of the ordering info for bookstores on my website, www.woniatibo.com. You can order the book from there, or you can download the sell sheet, which you can take to your local bookstore, which gives them all of the information on how to order it. So that is kind of the best way because then you're supporting your local store and you're you're getting the book onto the shelf so more people who might not be following me will have access to it. Your book is so inspirational. I think... Um, what I what I love about it is that I have had some of those same experiences. I think you are talking to humans of all kinds that have had all of these same uh, struggles. I also felt like I was in the wrong time. If only I had been, you know, 200 years ago, it would have been the right time. But my, I had an ancestor tell me that that's never right. You are always born at the right time that you're supposed to even if you're reviving um if you're reviving ancestral skills if you're mastering those skills now is the right time for you um i had another I can't guest imagine us without you in the world kareen i'm so glad that you're in the world right now because you're such an anchor for what's important in this time and look at you on the radio getting it out there so Oh, yes. thank you so much. Um, I had another guest on who talked to me about her experience writing this book. And I know that you had said that you were like a lot of this stuff is before, like way before you went onto the show. So um, tell me about your experience of, of writing this book. What made you said you knew you were going to write this book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I went in to my alone experience with the idea that I might want to write a book about it. But towards the, the middle and end, and by the time I left, I knew that I absolutely had to write this book. One, because I freaking promised to the land and the animals out there that I would, that it was so important in our world today to share the experience with those who would never get out into a wild place, would never put themselves in the kind of position I was in, to share that story. And part of the the prayers and the gift back that I gave to those plants and animals that fed me out there was sharing the story of how you can do better as a person who seeks connection and reciprocity and wants to give back than an, as a person who's out there to, to pillage and conquer the land. So I knew I needed to write it for that, but I also knew that most people are never gonna have the kind of experience that I had out there. And I wanted to give that to the world vicariously that more people would see some of the ways that we can feel more deeply connected and part of things. And my experience was so deeply healing. And I feel that our world really, really needs that kind of healing. So it felt like a really important gift to all of those who could identify with my journey. I didn't want to have myself as a survival superhero. I wanted to have myself as a fallible, vulnerable human who has been through the freaking ringer, but gained strength through it and found healing through putting myself in a situation that most people would run screaming from. So that's why I knew this book was needed by the world. It definitely was. And I, I read a lot. And I think this might be definitely in my top 10 books that I've ever read. It is, it uh -huh. is so, and to, and what was really awesome is because I know you, I could hear you reading it. 
And, um, and it was just amazing to watch you on your, on your journey. And I always think like, you know, um, Oprah would always say like a come to God moment. And I always say a come to creator moment. But what I really loved about you is that like, unlike a lot of the people on the show who halfway through starving and halfway through having the hardest experience, finally realize that they're a part of it. Like you went out there and you're, you were, you were so respectful um, to the ancestors and so respectful to, um, you know, our, our relatives that were there, the rocks and the, and you know, who was feeding you. And I love that you were weaving baskets out there. I actually had to look up what kind of willow grows there because all the willow that I knew there was tiny. And I'm like, what kind of willow could you, could you be making baskets out of? And I also had these crazy um, thoughts when I was reading your book about when you went uh, too far and then, and it, it was a very dangerous moment and it beeped. I'm thinking like hunger games, like the wall of flames came up and you had to head back. So I had, I had the craziest thoughts when I was reading your book and I'm, I thought I, so much about the hunger games before launch. I was like, okay, I am totally Katniss and I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And you, um, you Even had not hunted. Another part. I definitely didn't intend that. Right. You had not done a lot of bow hunting. Um, or a lot of trapping, and that's what you were dependent on, right? I had never shot an animal with my bow, and I had never trapped an animal before I went. I had shot animals with rifles, and I had shot my bow a lot, but I hadn't brought those two together. And yeah, I'd never, I'd never trapped anything in my life. And the animals taught me to trap them, both, both in the Northwest Territories and in Labrador. Hundred percent, those animals whispered in my ear over and over until I got it and learn to trap them. I love that. There, um, Pomo songs don't always translate verbatim, but there is one Pomo song, it's a hunting song that I know that actually does translate verbatim, and it is singing to the different kinds of animals and, you know, kind of t telling them, thank you for teaching me how to hunt. Thank you for coming to my trap. Thank you for coming to my arrow. And I was like, I thought about that a lot when, when you were trapping. I was like, again, I'm a big, um, I love animals and I love our environment. I know that those go together. You know, um, population control of animals is, is an important part of being a good steward in the land. So I was, I'm glad that you talk about that in your book. I'm glad that you won, um, frozen alone i think you do such great things in the world that the universe is just like we got to get this lady out so everyone can see her and i i absolutely love that um we were talking while eating peach pie at kimberly's tent and you did an amazing dance i love how you did your dancing every every week in the show and i i love your floss moves um and you were talking about <laughs> the songs that were coming to you and that it was a, an occurrence with everybody that all these songs out of nowhere what was the weirdest song that I know you said show tunes. I know you said Pearl Jam. Like, what was the song that you were just like, oh, that was weird. I didn't know that was in there. Oh, my gosh. That's such a great question. You know, what was fascinating to me was that 
when I was out there, there were so many songs that I didn't even realize that I knew. And it was really different from my first time to my second time. And the first time was like all of the super angsty, grungy music that I used to listen to as a teenager and like whole albums entire with all of their words. And I, it really made me think about what we take in. So it was that it was like, um, you know, and I still love some of this music, some of it I don't, but it was like, people who I love, like Ani DeFranco and the Pixies and um, yeah, Pearl Jam was in there. You know, I, I was in high school in the late eighties, early nineties, Karine, you and I are about the same age. So like similar popular musics and um, just realizing that like, I carried all of those lyrics and all of that angst with me and I didn't want that. And then when I was on my second time on Alone Frozen, it was earlier in my life and it was, it was a lot of show tunes and Broadway and it was frankly much better messages and it was much more fun to have those, but it was like a chorus line, the movie, I, <laughs> a lot and like Godspell, which I didn't grow up Christian, but I loved Godspell and you know, I, I've always been a spiritual person, but I didn't grow up in organized religion. But sometimes the kind of messaging in some of those religious songs would get me, even though I didn't believe in the Christian God. So like Godspell was really was really with me out there. And um, yeah, it surprised me that I still even remembered that stuff from when I was like eight years old. That cracks me up. I don't know my times tables, <laughs> but like I know all the words to the king and I and <laughs> just crazy stuff like that. So it was it was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Wonia, for joining me today. It was a pleasure to have you. Good luck with when does your book get released? It is officially out on June 13th, but I am doing a early book release in Sacramento. So folks in Northern California, I am going to be doing a signing and release at Avid Reader in Sacramento on the 10th. So you can get an early copy as of the 10th, but the official release when you'll be able to get it from bookstores and online and what have you is the 13th. You can pre-order it now though, so that you have a better shot of it arriving on your doorstep on June 13th. Awesome. I think I think Kumar may have pre-ordered one for everyone in his family. He um oh he loved it very much. So I am very grateful. I love you so much. I can't wait to hang out with you again and to weave with you. Um I'm going to play another song for you that I love very much from my dude, Jason Mraz, and it's called Wise Woman. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great June. Um, go out to some big times. We have lots of big times coming up this month. Um, say some prayers and do some dances. Uh, have a good month, everybody. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.